is the Church Law Podcast, where you can get practical solutions for today's leaders. I'm your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney. Welcome back to another episode of the Church Law Podcast. I'm your host, Erika Cole, known as the church attorney, and I'm glad you're joining us. I want to quickly share that I'm excited to be hearing from so many of you who've let us know that you're enjoying the podcast and you appreciate the information that's being provided. And thanks to the awesome team at Church Law and Tax and Christianity Today. I'm amazed to share that we're at the top 10% of all podcasts in terms of downloads. And I'm super excited about this new episode today. Um, Today, I'm talking with a special guest about pastoral succession planning. And that is none other than Bishop Ralph Dennis. Bishop Dennis is the establishmentarian and the presiding prelate of Kingdom Fellowship Covenant Ministries, Inc., a synergistic fellowship of Christian churches, ministries, and businesses in the United States, the Republic of South Africa, and Kenya. He is the CEO and president of R.L. Dennis Ministries and a member of the John Maxwell team. After serving for 35 years, as a senior pastor of Kingdom Worship Center in Towson, Maryland, and Columbia Family Worship Center in Columbia, Maryland, he retired from the pastorate. After attaining a Bachelor of Science degree in math from Morgan State College, he furthered his education and currently holds a Master's of Theology in Bible Theology from the International Bible Seminary in Orlando, Florida, and an Honorary Doctor of Divinity from St. Thomas Christian College and a Doctor of Theology from North Carolina College of Technology. He is currently pursuing a PhD involving interdisciplinary research on the integration of faith and society. He also has completed the Summer Leadership Institute sponsored by Harvard Divinity School's Center for the Study of Values in Public Life. Bishop Dennis makes available to the body his keen understanding of church government and divine order. He loves teaching church leaders on subjects relative to equipping the saints in the 21st century and their kingdom anointing by enriching and challenging audiences to hear and obey God. His fatherly anointing has blessed many bishops, pastors, and ministry leaders across the nation. He has authored more than 12 publications, which include Transformational Thinking, Marketplace Jesus, and Divine Distinction. Bishop Dennis, welcome to the Church Law Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to be with you. So glad you're here. As you know, you have been such a powerful voice in church and in many ways, a great example of how succession planning can be done effectively. To start, can you share a little bit about your process of transitioning from pastoring to your current role? I can indeed. Thanks for again for this invitation to be with you. I'm just glad to be with you. I pastored for 35 years and 13 of those 35 years, I was uh, bivocational because I worked in corporate America as well as pastoring two churches full time. I said full time because no matter how much time I put in corporate America, I still spent my time at the church as well. But after 35 years, I was able to pass the baton. That's what we called it to my son, my second son. 
and uh, step out of the pastoral role into more of a covering or an apostolic covering is what we call it, but it's a more of a role of overseeing churches, parachurch ministries, businesses. Uh, and that's what I'm now doing. That's really it's been a great exciting. transition. And how many years have you transitioned into this overseer role? How many years has it been now? Eight years. Eight years. Eight years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Um, well, I, I want to mention in my article with Church Law and Tax, it was called Succession Plans, Why Your Church Needs One. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll include that link in the show notes. I mentioned that according to the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability's most recent nonprofit governance survey, 65% of all nonprofit boards self-report that they do not have a succession plan. So that's a pretty staggering figure. It is. And it would likely, that number would probably be even higher if the survey exclusively asked church boards, because in my experience, church boards have even fewer actual written succession plans. So why do you think it is that many churches don't have a succession plan? Unfortunately, we don't plan for transition and transition is inevitable. It's going to happen. But seemingly, we feel like that when it does happen, we can respond effectively without planning. But that's not so frequently in the midst of transition at the church collapse uh, or that we find that we're not as effective or as productive. That's when members begin to be lost. Finances go down. So transition has to be planned for. And succession planning is one of those elements that must be included. Someday we're going to find a new career, or if we don't find a new career, we we may die. (laughs) And that creates a need for somebody to follow you. Yeah. You know, I, I always say I find it so interesting that pastors talk about you know, the the life hereafter all the time, right? That's what we're living for. We're living for eternity. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I find that they are very uncomfortable with their own mortality. Mm-hmm. Yes, is, absolutely. Is that something that you see as well? <laughs> absolutely. So <laughs> we, we sort of perform it like we're going to be here forever. <laughs> we mm-hmm. really do. And, but I, I'm hoping that as time comes and goes, we're going to be more sensitive to the area of the need to prepare somebody. So it's not just us moving out of the position. It's also getting someone else ready to take the position. Mm-hmm. So it's a sort of two, at least a two pronged effect. And all of these subordinate things that are attached to that, what does that look like? So it's a, a simple term succession planning, but it's a very complex effort if you're going to do it and do it effectively. Well, that takes me to the next question that I hope to ask you, which is, what did you do to ensure a successful transition? Because just as you said, successful transitions don't just happen. They are planned for. Yeah. Well, I've got to also give credit to my corporate life for being able to manage the church, uh, which sometimes pastoral work does not seemingly include managing. It's just shepherding. <laughs> but I believe the, the effective pastoral model has to include managing the church as a corporation, managing the church as a bona fide legal organization. 
Uh, so that's the perspective I have. I love people. So pastoring people became a gift. That's automatic. I can love people, help people to grow uh, naturally, spiritually, emotionally. I can do that. It's the managing part, which seminaries, by the way, don't really teach you how to manage the church effectively. So I had to put on my management hat alongside my pastoral hat and look toward the church as an organization that will survive any transition in its future. Uh, So when I heard the Holy Spirit prompt me to do that, I certainly prayed about who. And one of the greatest biblical models of succession is father to son. Mm. Father to son. Now, uh, we, we try not to be guilty of nepotism, uh, but the Bible is full of examples of nepotism. <laughs> God himself gave his son. <laughs> so yeah. so yeah. father-son relationship is a biblical model. And, and I had a son that was extremely committed to God, committed to church, committed to ministry, uh, very effective in what he does. Uh, but he was in corporate America. So I had to make plans to bring him out of corporate America into the church setting full time and in order to and his wife, by the way, because I wanted both of them, if when their uh, pastoral season came to be able to function together, pastoring can be devastating to families if they're not together. So I brought both he and she out of corporate America. She was in the education system. She was teaching. And my son was working for a major insurance company. And I uh, brought them both uh, from their job, matched their salaries and uh, gave them positions where they could develop their their uh, ability to pastor long term through different phases of exposure in the church. Things that they were familiar with, things they were not familiar with things that they need to be exposed to, et cetera. After seven years, we made the transition. So they went through this succession training and development for seven years before I turned it over to them. You have said some powerful things, Bishop Tennis. You said some powerful things. One thing that really stood out to me is you said pastoring can be devastating to families. And, And that is so ironic, but I have found in my unique role of representing churches and ministries of all different faiths and denominations, that that is very, very true because it's grueling. It it demands everything. And in other instances, we would expect balance, quote unquote, right? But when it comes to the things of God, because it it is spiritual, it's almost like we give a pass to imbalance. And in an earlier episode of the Church Law Podcast, I spoke with a guest about pastoral burnout and the legal issues that can arise when leadership is suffering from burnout. And I think that tug that you just hit on is, you know, one area where that can manifest. Um, So we'll, we'll link that prior episode in the show notes. But do you see a connection between the high rate of pastoral burnout and succession planning? Oh, absolutely so. Um, oh my God, I know I can't cite uh, case uh, cases here. I won't do that. We won't do a case study. Uh, if we do it, we do it theoretically. So, yes. <laughs> but I see it quite often. Um, I got some uh, cases that I'm working with right now. Some people that I'm working with right now that 
is nothing more than burnout because they uh, could not afford to take time away. Um, and consequently, they go, go, go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ doing what they're called to do. We, we love and appreciate that. But even Jesus himself got away and rested. He went to the other side, got away from the people, got on board of a ship, fell asleep. So he himself understood uh, the God of the Sabbath, understands the need to take a Sabbath. Yes, <laughs> so, yes. so, uh, but I do, I see it quite frequently. And frequently it's because their pastoring can be lonely as well, which means that there's not always somebody there to provide for you guidance and direction and wisdom and point you, even though you give wisdom to others, you don't always apply it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that role of pastoring a local church, there's frequently a need for somebody to remind you that you are human. Mm. And being human, part of your survival is how to get away, how to set boundaries, how to rest. That is a part of the, of something we need to learn. And if they don't have someone who can speak that into their lives or to give them that guidance, uh, the demand from the sheep that we we shepherd, because that's what we're doing, yes. puts such a demand on us that our lives become less of a priority than their lives. Yes. And yes. that's that puts both our lives and their lives in jeopardy. That's powerful. No, that's that's so good. It, it makes me think about that saying, the cobbler's children's shoes have holes. You yes. know, it's often yes. <laughs> the neglect that happens to those closest to us, to ourselves and those closest to us when that burnout occurs. So that's, that's powerful. Now, when you were talking about your process, I noted that you referenced your board. And of course, from a legal standpoint, succession planning should involve the governance board of the church. And so I'd love to hear from you how receptive was the governance board when you shared that you were ready to make this passing of the baton, as you've described it? I had to posture that need uh, based upon my experience, my uh, knowledge of succession, but I had also postured on the need of just human common sense and divine wisdom. They weren't opposed to it. They just didn't have a model for it. And they trusted the, um, the model that I gave them. And most most of them, I'm trying to recall now because we're going back a few years, uh, had never even thought of succession planning from a church construct because mm-hmm. they didn't. Everybody who was ever part of a church who did it, <laughs> yes. so they trusted my wisdom, and so I, I did it. They didn't tie my hands. The most difficult part of it was the financial planning pick, because that's a key part of why pastors do not retire. Yeah, They fail to plan financially, that that part gets missing. So we had to take a bold step, uh, look at what we were doing in terms of income and expenses, find ways to be frugal in some places and cut some things back, for the long-term benefit. And it's amazing though, that, that of how, when you start to do that, it seems like it just grows the church in many different areas because now we're better stewards. Now we're planning effectively. 
Now we, we, we are, have a system in place that will help sponsor our future. All those things start to fall in place. And the church becomes overall a healthier church, a much healthier church. That's powerful. No, I mean, because because I think that is the fear that many leaders have is that succession could, in fact, cause things to look different in a negative way, as opposed to being able to envision, because just as you said, perhaps they haven't seen a successful model themselves. Mm -hmm. I want to share this In, in their book, The Elephant in the Boardroom. The authors outline several questions to help start the process of creating a succession plan. These three questions I included in my article that that I mentioned earlier with church law and tax. The first question was, do you have a clear understanding of your particular church culture and the specific advantages and risks a pastoral transition poses? That's some of what you were talking about, Bishop Dennis. Mm -hmm. Um, The second question, have you had an honest structured discussion with your governing board about what is going to happen to the church when the pastor transitions? Again, Mm -hmm. something that you did successfully. Third question they, they suggest asking is, do you have a pastoral transition plan in place that describes and details how your church will maintain excellence at the point when the current pastor transitions and a new pastor is called? Mm-hmm. So these things you did well, and you leaned on your experience in the corporate right. world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to ask this question because you talked about transitioning and passing the baton to your son. What are your thoughts about recruiting within the church versus without, you know, outside the church? Because I've often heard pastors say, and they're 70, 80 years old, and they say, well, I can't have a successor because there's nobody here to take the baton. What what do you say about this recruiting within the church or without the church? To me, the most ideal is to find someone within the church if there's a person who's capable of being developed and made ready to take over uh, in the midst of transition. If that there is no such person, by the way, if, if there's no such person, the leader has missed his opportunity somewhere along the way, I would think, to find an individual and develop them, train and develop them. There's a lot of potential in those pews. There's lots of potential. These are people who are successful every day of the week in other spheres of the marketplace, every day of the week. And so it's hard for me to believe that you can't find somebody in your immediate culture that you can develop, train and develop and get them ready. But aside from that, let me get back to your question. That's an important parenthetical. (laughs) Absolutely. If you cannot, then I believe with all of my heart that it's good to go outside, put together some strategy by which you can attract someone who has that calling, that's very important. That is a, a, a calling that they recognize they have. Do some interviewing, do some background checking and et cetera, and bring that person in and make them ready. You, you have to do that. But again, if you're not ready in terms of your physical planning, your fiscal planning, your, your dollars and cents, your, your uh, retirement plan, your education support, your um, medical care, and uh, all of that packaging has got to be a package. Otherwise, they can't afford, people cannot afford to make that transition. So it's got to be affordable 
to the person who's coming in. That's why going outside sometimes becomes very difficult. Bishop, you make some really good points there. And again, kudos in working with the board and helping them know the next steps and and allowing them to take ownership of this important transition. Um, One of the things that we encourage churches to do in, in this context is to work with a qualified church attorney. So ideally, just as you did, Bishop, the senior pastor initiates the succession plan discussion. However, sometimes the church board makes the first move. And I mentioned this in my article, um, regardless of who initiates, the church should engage a competent attorney with experience representing churches. Along with a strong legal understanding of succession, the attorney should also know how to apply biblical principles to church leadership, governance, and pastoral transition. And just as a tip, Prior to hiring the attorney, ask, you know, ask him or her to explain the biblical-based principles that will guide his or her understanding of succession planning. And we would also, you know, want to make sure that the attorney has experience in this particular area of succession planning so that they can help guide the legal parameters of what a succession plan should and should not include. And that goes right back to that financial planning that you talked about as a baseline as something yes. that churches need to do to prepare for succession planning. So that's, yes. that point is very well taken. We know from recent data that pastors are getting older in the United States, and this has important implications for the future of the church. In partnership with Pepperdine University, Barna conducted a major study into how today's faith leaders are navigating life and leadership in this particularly complex time, they say that only one in seven pastors is under 40 and half are over the age of 55. The percentage of church leaders 65 and older has nearly tripled, meaning there are now more pastors in the oldest age bracket than there are leaders in the younger, that is under 40 age bracket. So Bishop, I want to hear your thoughts on how do you think this aging of pastors impacts the need for succession planning. Wow. I I would hate to say it, but I must say it because the truth, the older we get, our productivity curve drops. (laughs) We just don't function as effectively. Uh, Our production decreases. Our patience uh, (laughs) wanes. (laughs) My husband would say I've never been one with a whole lot of that, but anyway... (laughs) So the, the older the pastor becomes to me, the, the less he has energy to give. Uh, his, his knowledge is great. And that's the key thing that, a people, that the church likes to hold on to, the wisdom, the knowledge of this old man. But they, they have a tough time comparing with that as an asset. What are the liabilities that that old man also is carrying with him? He's not as mobile, does not think as quickly not as easily to uh, to entreat because of the, again, lack of patience. <laughs> Force his insights are often more narrow, and which is very true. And in this season, I don't care how old you are, you've got to be in touch with life. You've got to be in touch with what's going on around you. And technology, of course. Oh my God, the pandemic has exposed us old guys 
to things we never thought we had to learn. <laughs> but it, it's been absolutely necessary. And we've been forced to learn. it. Yes. As you're on a podcast yes. and Zoom. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's what I'm talking about. So the older you get, I think in any career path, the less productivity you're going to see from that individual. The priest in the Bible was at 50 years old, no longer to serve as priest. He was, he becomes a wise man at the gate at 50 years old. He becomes a man of wisdom sitting at the gate, providing what he has uh, learned over the years to others. We've lost that model. (laughs) We've lost that model. And yet we need that wisdom and we need it around as long as we can, but just in a different context. I'm still around and I'm way over 50, uh, but I'm still close enough around Not to the membership per se, because that's not my role any longer, but to leaders who need, leaders need to be led as well. Pastors need to be pastored. Mm -hmm. Every pastor needs a pastor. Mm -hmm. No, that's good. That's good. So, So let me ask you this, Bishop. What would you say to the pastor or church leader who may have come to that same place that you were seven, eight years ago, feeling the the nudge? to move out of that shepherding role, but feeling some guilt in making that shift. What would you say to that pastor or church leader? Uh, Let's relook at your priorities. Let's take another look at priorities. Let's talk about why succession must become a priority. Mm -hmm. I I would definitely approach it from that perspective. Then if I could win them in that area, I would then talk to them about Uh, how to devote time toward the planning for succession. What does that look like? How do they go about it? I would talk to them about resources uh, that are needed for a good succession plan. I I don't think I would have to talk very long about why succession is healthy for the spiritual longevity of the church, because if he or she is honest with themselves, they probably can look back over the last two or three years and recognize where they have become deficient in some areas that in past years they were more productive, effective, efficient at. You've got to take a strong look at reality. You really do. None of us are here forever. So we've got to plan for what happens after I'm no longer here for whatever the reason. Yeah. No, that's that's really good. And and I will say your voice of wisdom is so awesome and useful. I've reached out to you personally some months ago sharing the vision that God's given me in take the next call. Uh, I help burnout pastors take the next step toward a life of more joy and contentment while still on. you echo that something like this is so needed in the body of Christ nowadays. Why would you say that? Shepherding, uh, I'm going to make sure I understand your question. Why Why do I say what again? Yeah, and take the next call. You, you echoed that having a support around the that transition yeah. out of pastoring or that church leadership role into whatever that next calling is. Yeah. Um, having support, having someone that you can entrust and share confidences with. You thought that having that system and support would be very positive and especially needful now. 
So my question is, is why? There are a number of case studies in my own sphere of influence that I can refer to in my heart and head right now where pastors get burned out because they don't take time to plan properly. And once burnout happens, once, and and I'm trying to find the right words to use here because it's a sensitive subject for me, everything begins to collapse. Here's, Here's one of the major things that happens. Pastoral discretion now is is not where it ought to be. Their effectiveness in the pulpit begins to decline. They seem less, have less energy to do what they're doing. Many of these are telltale signs that either your season to do what you're doing is up or you need to take a major break and regroup. But frequently there's nobody to tell them that. Uh, sometimes that's a, that's a good opportunity and a good gateway to move into another career path, capitalize on what you've been doing up to that point, or step back from it and come back with a new approach, a renewed mind, a renewed strategy. But it's much needed and it's not there normally from those who we look up to, who call, who we call maybe our bishops, our overseers, our superintendents, because their experience has been the very same thing they're looking at. You are them all over again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Everything reproduces after its own kind. Yes. No, that's <laughs> powerful. That's powerful. Well, Bishop, I've really enjoyed this time. And I just want to say, if you're a pastor or a church leader who finds yourself in a place of burnout, I'd be happy for you to join the Take the Next Call wait list. Just go to takethenextcall.com, join the wait list. We can share more information there. And again, Bishop, thank you for being with me on the Church Law Podcast today. And to our listeners, feel free to share your comments and questions with me. I plan to read each of them and maybe I'll get to answer your question on an upcoming episode. Reach me at contact at takethenextcall.com and subscribe to the Church Law Podcast to get each new episode and join us on this journey. This podcast is brought to you by Church Law and Tax part of Christianity Today's podcast network. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that the host and the publisher are not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional person should be sought. Due to the nature of the U.S. legal system, laws and regulations constantly change. Listeners are encouraged to consult with legal counsel to verify the information provided here remains current. Visit churchlawandtax.com for more insights.